Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. It is time to kick the tires on everything you've heard about turkey choke tubes. Today, we are going to talk about the truth and the lies of turkey hunting choke tubes and the strategy that goes with them. Hey, this is George back with the New Hunter's Guide, the podcast and YouTube channel, helping new hunters get started and bringing new insights to all hunters. Today, we are going to dive into some of the deepest, nittiest, grittiest conversation on turkey hunting strategy and choke tubes I think you are going to find anywhere. And it's not just something that's coming out of my own opinion or resources. I have a very special guest with us today that can speak into this subject at a level that is pretty much at the top of the class. I have with us today a master toolmaker who has done aerospace manufacturing for defense. He's also the owner of his own choke tube company for which he invented and patented his own choke tube technology, not to mention a lifelong hunter. I've got Jimmy Muller with us here today. Jimmy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show. Hey, George. Thanks for having me, man. Fantastic. So, we're going to jump into some stuff here, Jimmy. But first, before we talk about strategy and choke tubes and uh, what I think is going to be examining some assumptions that people have swallowed hook, line, and sinker for the last decade or two, let's just talk a little bit about your background, both your hunting background as well as a little bit about your technical background. I want people to understand just the depth of experience and wisdom uh, behind the voice that's going to be speaking into this subject today. Oh, cool, George. So, so I was born in 1969. And um, I was born and raised on a 900-acre salt marsh here where I'm still at. We've got a dock and keep our boats here on the dock and still hunt and fish almost every day. And um, so I was born in 69. In 1975, on opening day of October 15th, I shot my first duck flying, which was a hen green wing teal with a 410 side-by-side Stevens 311. And... Um, you know, ever since that day, I just, you know, my dad and my brother always kept taking me hunting and uh, fishing in the off season. But um, duck hunting was always my biggest passion. And to this day, it still is. And uh, so, you know, basically all my life, 
hunting. My dad was a master wing shooter. My brother's a master wing shooter. Um, I was really good with shooting a pellet gun or a rifle and stuff like that. But I struggled with a shotgun most of my, you know, early years. And uh, so when 1992 rolled around, some of my dad's friends, my my dad was a taxidermist. He used to mount everybody's uh, ducks that hunted out here in this area. And uh, some of his friends came over and said, hey, you got to try this sporting clays. My dad said, ah, you know, I, I shot trap and skeet over at Remington Gun Club in Lordship. You know, most of my life, he said, I want the kid to learn on birds, not clays. And, you know, I was like, well, there's not enough birds for me to really learn on. So, you know, we're talking like late 70s, early 80s. And, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s, there were quite a few birds. But when we moved out of that and got into the late 80s, early 90s, there were not a lot of ducks at all. If we didn't go crow hunting, there was not much practice. So I struggled. So um, in, you know, 1993, I started really competing in sporting clays. And, uh, you know, we get we get into where the chokes came about with that. But that's that's I wanted to become a better wing shooter. So that's why I got into sporting clays competing in 1993. And uh, that ended up being a reason why I and I made my own choke tubes and invented my own choke tubes and all that fun stuff. But we uh, we could touch on that. Um, backing up, 1988, I graduated Platech um, High School, which is a RVTS um, vocational technical school as a machinist, and uh, ended up becoming a journeyman and then a master toolmaker. Um, did a lot of aerospace defense manufacturing, did a lot of work for Sikorsky, Blackhawks, S-61, presidential helicopter, did work on the Hubble Telescope, International Space Station, um, did a lot of classified projects for DARPA, for the government, and uh, I was blessed to get to uh, put my hands on a lot of really cool stuff and extremely tight tolerances of, you know, plus or minus 25 millionths of an inch and working with exotic alloys and ceramics, stellites, inconels, aluminum bronzes, beryllium coppers, you name it. And um, so once I, once I had that background and uh, in 1993, when I had to buy 10 of one of the top choke manufacturers in the world, I had to buy 10 modified to get two to pattern right. And when I measured them, they measured 20,000 from my bore, which is supposedly modified. But what I found out was that the geometry and the chokes were not good. And I realized from that moment, exit diameter and thousandths of an inch constriction was grossly secondary to the geometry and the choke for the gun that it's in. Um, and then I went haywire with learning things from there on. So you had 10 choke tubes only two of which patterned reasonably close to what they were marked as, even though they all had the exact same constriction. That's correct. So so I bought the, the detail of the story was I bought two modifieds. I shot them on paper and it was in a browning over and under. I shot them on paper and one pattern like a ski and one pattern like a full. One was very open, one was very tight. And I said, oh man, they must have marked them wrong. 
You know, that's an easy thing to do. They just, you know, electro etch them. They could have marked them wrong. So I figured I had a skeet and a full choke in my possession. So I went into the shop the next day and I miked them and they were both 20,000 from my bore. My, uh, my Browning measured 742 and those chokes measured 722 and uh, blew my mind. I was like, how could this be? So then I thought, well, maybe my barrels are different. You know, it was a Browning and Brownings have really good barrels. But at the time, I didn't really know that. So I went in the shop the next day and I mic'd both of my barrels and they're both like within a half a thousandth of each other. And I'm like, well, maybe they pattern different. So I took the chokes out of them and I shot threads at paper at 15 to 20 yards. And point of impact was dead nuts on both of them. And they both patterned very similar to each other. So I'm like, what is going on? And uh, that's what started this whole journey. So I put the chokes back in the gun. I switched barrels with the chokes. I tried different ammo and they're both. One was very open and one was very tight. And uh, that's when I really started measuring geometries in the machine shop. I uh, set up my sun and bore gauge. I set up a dial bore gauge. I set up laser micrometers. I set up a federal profilometer to check the surface finish inside. And beknownst to me, the taper lengths were different. They were out of round. They were eccentric. They were not cylindrical. Um, one of them was not square to the gas skirt face where it's seated on the bore. Um, it, it was amazing to see that these geometries impacted the pattern so much, which didn't open a can of worms. It opened a dumpster of worms because that fast forwarded me to buying eight more of them from the same company and only finding two that patterned right. And when I called the owner of that company, I explained to him who I was, what I did, and uh, how I measured them. And he basically cut me off and told me, you bought them, you own them, kid. And he hung up on me. So I was like, wow, serious? So <laughs> at the time, I was making like seven bucks an hour, living with my parents. I, I spent like every dollar I had on these 10 chokes to try to get the best. And uh, when I was treated that way, I threw the things in the garbage when the shop the next day made my own and never looked back. Now, I have, uh, you know, studied the subject of turkey hunting, of choke tubes, ballistics, shotguns. I I've invested a fair amount of time. Um, you know, I have a research background. Um, you know, I spent almost nine years in college. And what you just said, first of all, half of the words and the terms and the information that you just spouted out when I first heard it, I didn't even know what most of that stuff meant. Second, as soon as I finally was able to wrap my mind around it, then the mind got blown. I was like, all right. So essentially what we've been working with in, in an industry is choke tubes that they have one measurement that's what they're selling them based on. And that measurement is probably relatively consistent, but there's a whole suite of other measurements and design specifications that have just as much and, and as a sum, maybe even more or drastically more to do with the effectiveness of that choke tube than the single constriction measurement that people are used to and are, are completely focused and nitpicking based on. Is that right? Yes, that's that's exactly correct. Now, that just still blowing my mind thinking about it. Um, but so you you then decided, okay, if if this is what's out there to buy, 
you're just going to make your own. And you didn't, you didn't go out there to start making your own to sell them. You were trying to make your own to have better chokes to compete with, right? That's correct. I just wanted to, you know, I figured, hey, if I was going to be the best and I was going to dive in with both feet and try to be a top competitor someday, I wanted to have the best of everything. So if something was wrong or if I missed a target or I couldn't hit a target, I knew it was me. It wasn't the chokes, the gun, the ammo, the vest, my glasses, my earplugs. I wanted to make sure that everything I owned was the best there was. So if I missed, it was me. And then all I had to do was improve me and my skill not worry about, you know, point of impact not being what it was supposed to be or having fly-throughs on a choke because it didn't pattern right or, you know, yada, yada, yada. So uh, so that's that's what happened. And when I did make my own chokes that day, I went out and patterned them. And lucky or not, believe it or not, the patterns were very even. And, you know, it wasn't the patterns I got as far as density and size at certain distances weren't exactly what I um, ended up with. I, I tweaked those, but the evenness and the consistency was very nice. And I was like pleasantly surprised. And I asked myself, did I just get really lucky or is geometry that important? And um, it, it came around to a lot of different things, but geometry is very important for a lot of reasons. But then what I learned after shooting 22 different guns and 13 different board diameters and changing every geometry you could imagine in a choke tube and even ones that probably have never even been thought of, um, I learned a lot. I learned a tremendous amount of how chokes act and how they act in every single gun and every single board diameter. Um, and it, it was huge. It, it to this day it's still huge every time a new gun comes out i test it with my chokes i'll even tweak some chokes and see if i could get it better for those guns and you know it's a lot of times i'll get lucky and won't have to change anything because they're spot on other times with some new guns coming out based on metallurgy or the way they machine the barrels or the bore diameter or a combination of all of those i have to tweak things and um that's that's what it's about. So then in between working for NASA and building parts for fighter jets, you're at home in the garage making your own choke tubes, trying to trying to become the best possible competitor you can. Absolutely. And at, at some point you had a, a career shift and you were like, hmm, maybe I should uh, pursue this full time. Uh, what did that look like and what did those first couple steps look like? So from 1988, when I was in high school, senior year, I was hired on work-study program from an aerospace defense company, and I went to work there, and I ended up staying there for almost 18 years. And um, while I was there is when I made these chokes for myself and did all the inspection myself and all that in between on my off time. And then in 2004... I decided it was time for me to start my own machine shop. So I basically went on my own, bought my own machines, um, got my own customers, still did the same type of work for aerospace and defense, um, Sikorsky, Alco Aerospace, and a bunch of others. And then in 2008, the economy tanked. And, uh, you know, I, I was sort of sheltered because I was sitting in my own machine shop 
doing my own thing, doing a really great job and, and uh, you know, doing well at it. And all of a sudden I found out that all these customers were starting to go, go away. And uh, on a Monday, my Sikorsky customer called me, told me they were pulling everything in house for a minimum of two years and I could finish the POs I had, but I wasn't going to get any more. And then that Wednesday, my next biggest client, Alcoa Aerospace, called me and said, they're union, they're pulling everything in-house indefinitely. So basically, in two days' time, I lost my entire income. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. And uh, I called the other, you know, 48 customers I had. Four of them were out of business already. Nobody would give me work. They were struggling themselves. And I was like, now what am I going to do? So I knew hands down that I had the best choke tube in the world. And the reason I knew that is because I fixed every single problem choke tubes had. Because at that point, I had shot every choke in the world through every gun I could get my hands on with every ammo, even ammo from like the 40s and 50s all the way to the current day, I was shooting every ammo you could imagine testing. And I knew that I had fit, I had fixed every problem a choke tube had. And on top of that, it was the lightest choke in the world and it was the hardest in the world and the cleanest in the world. And because of my patterns and my gun specific patterning geometry, I truly had the most even patterns in the world with the lowest shot shot deviation out of all the guns and all the ammo. So I'm like, well, I'm going to need something to help pay the bills here. So I decided to patent it um, and brought it out of the closet at a Christmas shoot at a sporting clays event for the Connecticut Traveler Sporting Clay Association. And um, it just took off. And after just, I would say, less than two years time, it revolutionized clay target sports worldwide. And now you didn't just take a good choke tube design and just change the threads on it to put in different guns. You've custom built these, right? That's correct. So every gun takes different thread patterns, different body diameters, different lengths, um, different bore diameters. So theoretically, what I had to do was 
start with what I did was I started with one gun, which was my Browning at the time. And I changed every geometry you can imagine until I got the most picture perfect, lowest shot shot deviation out of that gun that that gun could actually produce. I used the best ammo on the planet, the most dependable, most consistent ammo at the time that was made. And that's what I used. And that way I knew there was no variation in the ammo or at least very minimal variation. And I made the patterns as good as that gun could achieve. I drew the blueprint for the choke tube for that gun. Then I moved to another gun and I started all over, changed every geometry again that you could imagine until I achieved the most amazing pattern that gun could achieve, made the blueprint for the choke for that gun started all over on next gun and went on and on and on. So then your chokes are custom built for every gun that you make them for to get the best pattern that that gun is able to produce. That's correct. And uh, once I was able to achieve that with the lead target load ammo I was using to develop these chokes, then once I created the best patterns out of any choke in the world with this ammo with all these different guns, I then went and patterned every ammo I could get my hands on. And what that meant, George, was like ammo that my dad and brother had from, you know, Remington Peters and the old Winchester Super X and the old Federals. And I mean, ammo that doesn't even exist today, I shot. And I shot everything from size shot number 12 all the way to double up buck and slugs and um, everything you can imagine in between, you know, solid copper BBs and lead BBs and bismuth and steel. I mean, everything. And, um, and that's, that's how I achieved what I did. And your chokes are good for any size shot, any material, any metal, any velocity. Is that right? That's almost right. So my Featherlight patented series is my Featherlight clay target competition series. That choke tube, because the substrate is actually aerospace aluminum, um, it has ammunition limits. That's why it's a clay target competition choke. You can use it for upland birds like doves and pigeons and even pheasant, but they have ammo limitation because of the material. With my H2O waterfowl hunting turkey big game series, I just call it um, H2O hunting series. That's the decoy passing UFO. Um, that choke has no limitation. As far as I understand and as far as I know to this day, it's the only choke in the world that literally has no ammu ammunition limit whatsoever. You could shoot any pellet material, any pellet size, even up to slugs through my UFO. Um, nothing will damage the choke. Nothing will swage threads into the barrel. The chokes will not break. Um, the patterns will not be blown. And uh, that's the way I invented them, and that's the way I made them. And I can attest to that. You guys can go to the YouTube videos. I have shot some pretty crazy stuff through Jimmy's chokes, including steel BB shot through the turkey choke, just to see what'll happen. 
Uh, but let's go ahead and switch gears here and talk a little bit about your turkey hunting background. You've shot a turkey or two in your day, haven't you? Yes, I have, George. I uh, I started out pretty young shooting turkey and uh, took a took a love into it and uh, went through the whole thing with shotgun and archery and you know everything in between. And um, I, I've really enjoyed a lot of times in in the blind hunting turkey and stalking turkey and all sorts of fun stuff. Now I have seen, um, in, in my time turkey hunting and doing videos and testing just an absolute and utter fixation on choke tubes and choke tube constriction, um, to, to, to the degree that I don't think I've seen matched in any other pursuit. I, I've seen a lot in the waterfowl universe, but you know, they're, they're, the turkey hunter expectations on a choke tube and pattern performance um, and, and just the amount of turkey hunters that will actually pattern choke tubes and try numerous choke tubes utterly blows my mind. There's just so much money tied up in people buying 10, 15, 20 choke tubes and running hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of TSS ammo and lead through them to get the best possible pattern that they can get at 60 yards uh, in order to not miss that one Tom. Um, you know, that, that's, that just sort of summarizes the, the, the state of the industry in my mind, the way I see it. And there's some crazy stuff going on and people want to see stuff uh, at crazy distances. And I'm going to do some crazy videos this spring, some of which are already recorded. And others are coming where we're going to test some things that are utterly ridiculous just to show and demonstrate how ridiculous they are. Yes. Because people keep talking about it and, and somebody just needs to go out and do it to show, hey, this is what happens when you do something this dumb. Yes. Uh, so there's going to be some of that coming. But Good. You, you've talking to you previously, you've brought up some points that really resonated with me. Um, just sort of like a, a counterpoint to the current methodology and doctrine and the turkey choke and ammo world about, uh, you know, these setups and patterning. So why don't you go into a little bit about, you know, what's going on and, um, the mistakes that people are making. Yeah, George. So so it's really interesting and really cool where the industry has gone in the last 30 or 40 years. And um, like you mentioned, you know, turkey hunters are very, very picky about their patterns, their chokes, their guns, their ammo and all that. And uh, the ammo companies know this. The ammo companies also know that 88% of target shooters and duck hunters never patterned their guns, their chokes, their ammo. Um, but they know turkey hunters do. And, uh, you know, one thing I learned early on is if you look at turkey loads by all the manufacturers, and I, I'm not talking about new TSS loads or bismuth, I'm talking about, you know, lead, tar lead turkey loads that have always been and to this day even still are. When you look at those loads, what are the first two things you notice? The payload is extremely heavy and the velocity is slower than anything else. And there's a reason for that. The reason is heavy payload and slow velocity is what keeps pellets together at long distances. Um, but for somehow we've uh, we've gotten away from that with waterfowl hunting and target shooting because we've fallen victim 
to listening to uh, false marketing and and hype from ammunition companies. But uh, but that's another story. But getting back to the whole turkey thing, and I've talked to thousands of turkey hunters across the country, George, and what I've seen and what I've heard over the years is that over 80% of turkey hunters have killed their turkeys inside 25 yards. There's only a handful of turkey hunters that have shot a turkey past 50 yards, and there's even a smaller handful of people that have shot beyond 60. And every single one of those that I've talked to that have shot a turkey past 40 yards, they told me the same exact story. They were toward the end of the season. They were working on a huge tom. The tom would not come over a wall or they would not come in. They would hold up somewhere, something, some reason. And they decided based on their patterns, based on their combination of their choke, their gun and their ammo, they knew that it would do it at the distance of being past 50 yards. And they took the shot. And some of these people were successful. A lot of these people were not because they simply missed. Um, And then that brings me to this whole like thought process on turkey chokes and turkey loads and turkey guns and the way we hunt turkey and the way we pattern and what we go by. Um, A lot of it has not made sense to me whatsoever as a turkey hunter, as a master class wing shooter, and as a choke tube manufacturer. What doesn't make sense to me is over the last several years, a lot of choke companies are glorifying themselves and wowing customers with, hey, check this out. Our turkey choke puts 410 pellets in a 12-inch circle or 10-inch circle at 50 yards. And I'm like, well, that's really cool. And you know what? I'm pretty sure any choke tube company in the market could make that happen with the right geometry and the right exit diameter with TSS number nines or number tens or nine and a halves. That's not an issue. That's not a hard thing to do. But here's the thing. Why did you, why would you want that as a turkey hunter? And this is what I ask myself as a hunter and as a choke manufacturer. And the reason I ask myself that George is because all of these hunters I've talked to outfitters, guides, hunters, weekend warriors, professional turkey hunters, most of them shoot their turkeys inside 25 yards. Why? Because that's the sport. They love to put their decoys in close. They love to call them in. They love to watch them beat up the decoy. They love to watch them mount the decoy. They love to watch them strut in and strut around the decoy. You don't get to do that at 40, 50, 60 yards, you know? And So for the small handful of turkey hunters that are going to take a shot past 40 or 50 yards, why is it that almost all the turkey chokes on the market these days are being marketed to be 400 pellets inside a 10-inch circle of 50 yards? And the answer to that is they need to have something new to sell people, to get people to buy something. And that doesn't sit well with me, Um, you know, because I'm a hunter, right? So, so that just doesn't sit well with me because I feel like they're sort of taking advantage of people by false marketing or 
not not false marketing. It's true because they're putting that many pellets in a 10-inch circle at 50 yards. So it's true. But why are they marketing to us as hunters that that's what we need and that's what we want? It's truly not because what we're doing is we're missing the time of a lifetime because we're shooting a golf ball at a turkey at 20 yards. And the moment the turkey's head moves a little, we miss. Or we're shooting that same 10-inch pattern at a turkey at 50 yards. I got to tell you, George, I'm pretty good with a rifle and a shotgun, but go ahead and try shooting at something as small as a turkey's head at 50 yards with a shotgun and tell me how many times you're going to center it. It doesn't happen every shot. And seeing that we're only taking one shot at a time of a lifetime, I don't want to be missing it if I pull that trigger. So, so that's the whole thought that I put into this whole turkey choke thing, you know? So then you've got people who are, you know, trying to get 400 pellets in a 10 inch circle at 50 yards as if that would kill the turkey deader than 200 pellets would. Exactly. You know, my rule of thumb and different people might have a different rule of thumb, but my rule of thumb is a goal of a hundred pellets in a 10 inch circle at whatever range that you plan the hunt. Uh, You can't kill them any deader than that. That's true. So if you got two or three or four or five or 600 pellets in that 10 inch circle, you accomplish nothing. Uh, But then you're, you're dialing in this pattern to have that 400 pellets in the circle at 50 yards. And so then at 20 yards, it's the size of a baseball. And, you know, what people are doing essentially here is they're tuning their gun and their choke and their ammo setup to maximize their opportunities at 50 yards and beyond. And they're sacrificing their opportunities at regular hunting ranges. That's correct. And, and yep, they're handicapping themselves beyond belief for no reason whatsoever. And it's all because of just people marketing it, talking it up. And a lot of people, especially newer turkey hunters, which is a huge market and a huge percentage of hunters, a lot of newer hunters that never saw what real turkey patterns were back in the day think that this is what it needs to be because this is all you hear and it's false. It's not really what you want. A life that has the stories to back it, a life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app. Now, I am not at all against people shooting at whatever range they want to shoot a turkey. If they want to shoot a turkey at 50 yards, 60 yards, 70 yards, and they've got the pattern and ability to do it, doesn't bother me at all. But what bothers me is... All right, maybe one out of 10 or one out of 20 turkeys that a person shoots is at that range. That means all the rest of them are closer. Yes. And so in order to get that one out of 10 or one out of 20 turkeys or have a better shot at getting that one, people are missing two, three, five turkeys at regular ranges 
because they're shooting a laser beam out of a shotgun at a moving target from a seated position. And of course, as soon as you sit down with a shotgun, you begin introducing an entire world of issues. Your, your shooting position changes, your sight alignment changes, your body position, how you're mounting the gun. You start to contort around, you know, uh, knots on the back of the tree, roots on the ground. Turkey comes out more to one side than the other. You know, unless you've got a red dot or a scope or something, it can be real hard just to put the pattern on the bird. And then the pattern is so small that people are missing that bird and they're missing more birds at regular range than they're gaining at long range with this long range tuning. Is that what you're seeing? Absolutely, George. And like you said, you know, we're we're normally in a sitting position, right? And, you know, resting, resting our elbow on our knee or or maybe we have a small tripod or or bipod, you know, between our knees and we're resting the gun on it so we can shoot where the decoy is or wherever we think that bird's going to be. The problem is we're in a confined position, right? We don't have the shotgunning mobility anymore of move, mount, shoot, or being able to pivot at the waist or even pivot from the ankles. Um, we have very little move mobility, right? Also, when you're in a sitting position, it's very hard to get your face on the stock the way you normally would mount a gun if you had your nose over your toes in a standing position like you normally would with a shotgun. So people tend to shoot high to begin with because their face isn't tight on the stock because they're in a sitting position. Their face is not as forward on a on a on the comb of the stock, which means they're also shooting higher than they think. There's just a lot of things that go in into this. And you know, if there's a turkey that's close or far, and you're in this position and you're pretty pretty buckled into where you have to aim and shoot, if that turkey starts to move or he even gobbles and his head moves or he takes a step and his head moves, you're, you've got a very high probable probability of missing because you don't have that fluid movement. You're locked into a vice almost. So this is the most important reason that you don't want to shoot a choke that is tighter than what you need. And like you said, you don't need something that has you know, a hundred pellets, I mean, 400 pellets in a 10 inch circle, you know, think about how many pellets you have in that shell. Think about how many pellets really only need to be in that 10 inch circle. And then think about how much of a margin of error you could actually have and still kill that bird. If he gobbles or struts or steps or moves or jumps, you're still going to kill that bird that time of a lifetime. Why would you want to give that up? I think that you said it right there. The one word that's the answer, margin. Yes. Cultivate more margin. I would rather have 400 pellets in a 20-inch circle than in a 10-inch circle because that drastically improves my probability of, of being able to hit that bird in a less than ideal shooting position or maybe I misjudged the range or movement some. Now I no longer have to essentially hit them with a pellet gun in the head. I've actually begun to gain some of the benefits of a shotgun. Imagine that. That's exactly it, George. You know, I try to teach my students and uh, when I, you know, when I teach people sporting play shooting or, 
even teaching them how to shoot a pellet gun accurately, right? Um, I shoot things flying with a pellet gun. So what it comes down to is we shoot a scatter gun, also known as a shotgun, because we want a margin of error, because it's normally a moving object. And a turkey is no different because a turkey is moving. Yes, they're stationary when they stop walking. They're stationary when they're not moving. But more times than not, if you've hunted turkey a lot, you know how often they move and how unpredictable that movement could be, especially when it comes to the head. So for me, regardless of, you know, how good of a shooter I am or, or how bad of a shooter I am, I want a margin of error and there's no reason not to have it. It's a shotgun. And you know, this big push towards bigger, longer, further, it's not that new, but it, it it's taken on new life. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember the, the story of uh, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. John McDaniels, who's been hunting turkeys for probably almost twice as long as I've been alive, Mm -hmm. has written numerous books on the subject. Um, He talked to me about how when he began turkey hunting, he went at it with the biggest gun he could get. He had a 10-gauge, double-barrel, 32-inch barrel. Lead fours. (laughs) Lead fours, the biggest, most powerful, most shot he could cram into a shell darn near knocked him over every time he pulled the trigger the muzzle blast was so much light and smoke and soot and who knows what else into the air he often couldn't tell if he hit the turkey or not yes and he patterned hundreds hundreds of patterns trying to find the best combination for the most range and everything else and when i most recently talked to him he was telling me about how uh, all of that was a misguided adventure. Yes. And he now hunts turkeys exclusively with a two and a, two and three quarter inch shell of Winchester double A trap loads, a one and an eighth ounce seven and of a seven and a half shot. <laughs> and he doesn't shoot if the bird's further than 30 yards away. And he has killed 43 of the last 43 birds that he has shot at. 100% kill rate for the last 43 turkeys that he took, essentially using target loads at short to medium range. Yes, and he's probably using a modified choke. Exactly, yeah, that's the other piece, modified choke too. Yep, what a great combination out to 30 yards. And can't kill him any deader with TSS at that range. Nope, no you cannot. You know, the thing thing that sort of gotten me going with this whole thought process is when I heard about this whole, you know, 410 pellets or 400 and something pellets and inside a 10 inch circle of 50 yards with TSS number nine, nine and a half, 10, whatever, doesn't matter. Just TSS period. The thing that, the thing that rubs me wrong is the fact that With that marketing, yes, it's true. You can do that with TSS. You could kill a turkey at 100 yards with TSS if you can hit them with the right pattern and the right choke. But here's the problem I have. Most people getting back to when they usually shoot them inside 25 yards, right? These poor people are 
paying a lot of money for a extremely tight choke tube. They are purchasing TSS ammo for up to and upwards of $15 a shot, some more, some slightly less. And they're going out and they're posting all over the different Facebook and social media platforms. Wow, my TSS and Choke X really smoked this Tom at 15 yards. <laughs> and, and I'm like, I'm, but it, and it's time and time again. And I'm like, what are you doing? So I'm glad you got the Tom of a lifetime and I'm glad you smoked him at 10 yards, 15 yards. But why did you do so with that expensive aftermarket choke? And I'm a choke manufacturer. And why did you do so with that expensive TSS? when you could have used a factory skeet choke with a with a seven and a half target load and done the same exact thing. It just kills me, you know? Yeah, and, and choke tubes, people are really, I mean, they get so anal about what's the constriction. Is it 0. 0.67, 0. 0.65, 0. 0.66? Well, if you had this brand and a 0. 0.65, well, that would have really given you a pattern. And, uh, you know, the, the pattern that you got with that 0.7, you know, that's garbage. And we're talking about the difference maybe between 285 pellets and 295 pellets, which is utterly, completely useless. Um, but at the same time, sometimes going down in constriction actually gets you worse patterns. But people yes. are fixated on the tightest pattern humanly possible at the furthest range humanly possible. And I really think that it's time the, 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 the industry, the people begin to wake up. And when you yes. designed your turkey choke, you know, you knew all of this, you could have made the furthest patterning, tightest patterning turkey choke on planet earth, but you chose not to because you didn't want to be the reason that people missed so many turkeys. Tell us a little bit more about, you know, your thought process and your design process for putting your choke together. I'm Will Cooper, and you're listening to HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast on the Waypoint Podcast Network. Stick around as I bring you more stories and interviews from veteran hunters and industry professionals who inspire us all to be better equipped in the woods and in life. Absolutely, George. So many years ago when I was going through all this this choke study and choke making and changing geometries, <laughs> I did some really wild stuff, you know, and I did make a choke tube that was so tight that people that I knew were winning card shoots with it. And I mean, it was just they were winning turkey shoots with it, blown centers out of the target. I mean, you know, it's it's fairly easy to do if you know how to make a good choke tube, okay? especially if you're going to use one type of ammo through it, you can make any pattern you want. So, so I used to do that and play around, but when it came down to me actually hunting Turkey and me wanting a pattern that was going to give me extended range confidently, but at the same time, give me margin of error on the close ones when they came in and walked in close on me, that's what I achieved because I want the best of both worlds. I want to, I want to be able to hit them when they're close without being overly accurate. And I want to be able to smoke them at 50 if I need to. And that's what my choke tube will do. And all you need to do is consider the ammo you're using. 
If you know that your turkey has a probability of holding up at 50 or 60 yards, well, then you use this type of ammo in my choke. If you know that your turkeys are going to be inside 30 yards, well, then just use this ammo for that for my choke. And if you're not really sure, well, then, you know, you pick the one that's going to do what you got to do. But my choke tube is going to give you the entire range at the at the most confident level with margin of error and not having to worry about, oh, gee, it's too close and I missed. Oh, gee, it's too far and I couldn't kill it. Mine is going to do the job if you do your homework. Now, while you were talking, I think I, I heard a, something that sounded like a, a sacred cow mooing in the background. And I can just hear people who are listening saying, well, but then what if you end up getting a pellet in the breast meat? Then what <laughs> are you going to do? <laughs> and of course, my answer well, is just throw the turkey away, of course, because once you get a pellet yeah. in the breast meat, I mean, you, you might as well just go home at that point. Yeah, I, I love that you said that, man, because, you know, when, you know, we go and uh, not to mention all of our duck hunting and our goose hunting, our pheasant hunting, our grouse hunting, woodcock, purdies, part, uh, I mean, bobwhite, doves, pigeons, I mean, how many birds do we shoot with a shotgun and you know there's going to be pellets in the breast meat because we can't head shoot everything, can we, George? So why is it sacrilegious or why is it frowned upon or looked down at or maybe not even talked about as far as body shooting a turkey or, heaven forbid, getting a couple pellets in the, in the body of a turkey? and it just comes down to, I don't know, I maybe tongue in cheek say ego, but I think it more comes down to uh, people worried about being judged by others. I mean, the fact is, when I used to turkey hunt, I'd go out with buddies or I would go out with family and I would want them to get their, their turkey, you know, because I've got mine. So what I would do is I would use one of my tight chokes and because in the beginning I had three chokes, close, medium, and far. They weren't called anything else. And I would go out there with three-inch lead fours, and I would let whoever I was with take the first tom or the first shot, and I would have my eyes locked on the other big tom or the other big toms. And when they took off, I would shoot them on the wing. <laughs> you know, because I knew I could with my fours and I never had any problem eating them. So I I just don't really see why our industry and our hunting community has gone that direction so strongly, or maybe it's just something that's not spoken about. I don't know. Now, people are bound to think that there's something going on behind the table here, but I can tell you straight up there is not. Um, Jimmy's not paying me to say any of this. There's no kickbacks. There's no, uh, you know, commission code or anything. Um, but I have taken his chokes into the woods, hunting just about everything that I've hunted in the last year or so. I've taken into the woods hunting turkeys. I've gone hunting geese. I've gone hunting ducks. I've even hunted pheasants with them. Uh, even the turkey choke hunting pheasants, though that wasn't on purpose, but that's a different story for a different episode. 
And uh, what I can tell you guys is that the thought process behind these chokes is phenomenal. Um, you know, you can take the close range choke, the decoy choke. You can use that for hunting anything. You can use that for hunting ducks. You can use it for hunting turkeys if you're going to be calling them in to 15 yards. You could throw that on your gun. You could take the passing choke, which is the mid-range one. You can use that for hunting anything, any pursuit, any metal, lead, TSS, steel, bismuth, metallic, other alloys, whatever you want to use, you can use them for anything. And then you can take the UFO choke. And you can take it turkey hunting and shoot an outstanding pattern at 50 yards. You could also go jump hunting ducks and hunting geese at long range and use the same choke for everything because it's so multifaceted and it works with all ammo. And maybe the most important thing that I don't think we've mentioned yet is the consistency of the patterns. The distribution of the pellets is so even that... You know, whatever ammo you're using, whatever game you're going after, you're going to get this great distribution of pellets that gives you that margin all around the circle. And the, you can make that circle as big as you want it to be. You could make it as small as you want it to be, depending on what you're going after and what you're using. Uh, but my experience has been, after using them for a year, that most people, myself included, are over-choking. They're just choking yes. too tight, trying to shoot too far, and handicapping themselves for the, the, the most frequent shots that they'll get. And we're talking about turkeys today, and that applies to that maybe more than anything else, but it does apply to wing shooting and everything else uh, that is on the table as well. And there is some turkey ammo out there today, guys. I mean, some unbelievable turkey ammo. I've got a pile of turkey loads on my on my desk here getting ready to get out and shoot some videos i mean i've got a three inch shell with two and a half ounces of number nine tss that's like a thousand pellets that you're going to throw yeah. down range i got other ones that go all the way down to two and three quarter ounce inch of one and a half ounces of number nine tss which in reality is probably the most anybody really ever needs to do the job at any reasonable range, but you could set up changing your ammo or changing which one of the chokes that you're using and do the job at any range that you're going to be hunting. I mean, if, you, if you're going to hunt at 20 yards, just use target loads. You want to hunt at 30 to 40 yards, well, you get some Winchester Longbeard and you can do that job and kill those birds as dead as they can die. If you want the flexibility to punch out the 60 yards, you can do it. Grab some TSS. And because there's so many pellets in the load, that same load will work just fine at your regular 25-yard range shot as well. And so the beauty here is in the flexibility that a sane system of chokes will give you. Now, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not against any choke tube or any manufacturer or any hunting strategy. There's some people, maybe one out of 20, where that fixation on the 60-yard shot with where you're hunting in big open fields at a distance may make sense for some people. But that's such a small fraction of the turkey hunting community that really, 
Uh, I mean, everybody else is handicapping themselves with this fixation and blowing a lot of money to get fixated on it. I mean, a box of TSS to try, well, you to try 10 chokes, you need at least two boxes at one range. And then, uh, you know, Jimmy, what range do you think people should be patterning at? What, 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 how would you set this up for turkey hunting with your chokes in terms of, you know, devising a good test to, to understand what your patterns are at whatever ranges you're going for? <clears throat> Most important thing that you do with any choke is you pattern it at the distance it's intended to be used at or the distance you intend to use it at. So what I mean by that, George, is... You don't normally shoot a skeet choke at 60 yards, so you wouldn't pattern it at 60 yards. And you normally don't shoot a full choke at 20 yards, so don't pattern it at 20 yards. There's a thing that's called full distribution, okay? And what happens is if you don't give enough time for a pattern to develop, it's going to look the same as pretty much any other overly constricted pattern. So there's happy distances for every type of choke constriction. And of course, that goes with ammo, it goes with bore diameters of guns. It's it's not as simple as people think it is. But that's why I did all the homework I did and I invented the wheel of chokes and and I've done the homework for everybody. So basically what I mean by all that is when you plan on shooting between 20 and 30 yards, let's say. You should not be using a full choke or an extra full choke for anything, any day, any means, any ammo, any gun. You just shouldn't. If you're shooting at 60 yards, you certainly should not be shooting a cylinder choke, a ski choke, an improved cylinder, a light modified, or even a modified, right? So, this whole definition, and, and I'm going to go off a little bit of a, not a rant, but I, I just want to explain my, my thinking here, okay? The whole methodology of patterning is obsolete, wrong, and out the window. It has been since the 60s, and to be honest with you, I don't think it was ever real, and I don't think it was ever defined properly. So, if you look up definition of shotgun patterns, it defines it as a 30-inch circle at 40 yards. And it defines it as a full choke is 70% of your pellets inside a 30-inch circle, a modified is 60%, improved cylinders 50%, skeet is 40%, and so on. Okay. I have a huge problem with that because it's false. It's not even close to being real. And here's why. Let's say you take a full choke that throws a full choke pattern at 40 yards, and it gives you 70% of your pellets inside a 30-inch circle of 40 yards. Perfect. That's how choke is defined, right, George? Well, here's the problem. What if that's a double A Winchester ounce and an eighth number eight traveling at 1145 feet per second. And then you don't change the choke or the gun, but now you go put in an ounce and an eighth of steel fours traveling at 1700 feet per second. 
do you really think that you're going to get the same 70% of pellets in a 30-inch circle? It was the same choke, same gun. But obviously, you're lucky if you get a few pellets in the circle at that distance. So you're not a full choke anymore, are you? So these are the things that have driven me crazy ever since I started shotgunning and ballistics and all that. Because even things that we've been told are the definition of shotgunning are false. They're lies. They're myths. They're they're. They're just not real. They're obsolete, let's just say. And this is this is what bothers me because these are the things that people are going by. They're going by the teachers that are teaching them falsely. The teachers that are teaching them falsely don't even know that they're false because they've been told by their mentors or their coaches or the books they read, like Bob Brister's book in 1976, shotgunning Bible, right? That's what we go by to this day. Back then, he had really good information. But the fact is, most of that information is totally obsolete now. But we still go by it. And these are the things that people need to open up their eyes and realize they need to be leaders for themselves. They cannot trust or go by the information we've had forthcoming because it's mostly myth and most of it is false. Yep, I don't think I've ever had any ammo pattern to the specifications of the the marking on the, you know, uh, cylinder improved cylinder modified on and on system. Um, you know, they all pattern different and every ammo seems to pattern different. And there's so many variations in ammo uh, for all kinds of hunting. But, you know, like, for example, back in the day, you know, a lot of people shot cheap lead basically just random ammo that was number six or number five and somebody stamped a turkey on the box charge you double for it and now that's turkey ammo that's basically how it yep. started i'm looking at a box right now i won't name the brand because i don't want to talk bad about anybody but i got all kind of stuff sitting oh. here on my shelf um and you might want a super double extra full point six zero constriction or something ridiculous to try to get that stuff to pattern worth anything. But when you take modern ammo, uh, especially buffered loads, the whole game changes. You know, if you take the yes. same ammo, one's a buffered load, the other one's non-buffered load. The patterns are dramatically different through every choke tube that you could shoot, right? Yes. And here, here's a big reason what I found. So not to get off the topic, but it, 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 is, it has everything to do with the topic. So give you two, two really eye-opening examples what I saw. And this is something nobody ever talked to me about, nothing I ever heard from anybody, whether it was a gun manufacturer, ammo, choke manufacturer, a shooting coach, a shooting mentor. Nobody ever talked about this. And I, I learned it on my own. Take, Let's take a, a Browning and Vector Plus gun or a Winchester, like a SX4, SX3, any Invector Plus gun, like a Maxxis 2 or even an Invector DS and if you measure the bore, most of them these days is 745, okay? Give or take 2,000s, but they're around 745. 
That's 745 thousandths of an inch. It's almost three quarters of an inch. Then you take a Beretta mobile choke gun or a Benelli standard or a Benelli cryo plus. Those guns measure as tight as 719 and they average 722. Some of the newer ones are 724, but we'll call it 720 for a round number. If you take that Browning 745 bore and you subtract 720 from the other gun, that's 25 thousandths of an inch different before you even put constriction in it. So 25 thousandths, George, last time I checked, is defined as an improved modified, correct? Sounds right. So now if we go even more extreme, still in a 12 gauge, and this happens with all gauges, by the way, 410, 28, 20, 16, 12, and 10. Let's go with that Beretta Mobile Choke or, or Benelli Cryo Plus Choke and compare it to a Mossberg 835-935 Ultimag 12-gauge that has a 10-gauge bore that measures 777. So if you take 720 from 777, that's 57 thousandths of an inch different before you put a choke in the gun. Now, is anybody ever going to tell me that they could put 10 thousandths choke in both of those guns and that it's an improved cylinder? That's what they'll tell me. Do you think I believe it? Absolutely not. Why? Because I've tested it. So these are things that people have never been taught, never been talked about, never been shown, nothing. And this is something that's plain as day, obvious, and it's math, it's physics, it's science. It's right there in front of us. But the problem is most of us don't know how to even measure that or what it means. But I'm here to tell you, it matters tremendously. So you've got one shotgun and the barrel is essentially what we would define as a full choke tube with no choke tube in the gun. The other one, the barrel is basically an improved cylinder, again, with no choke tube in the gun. And then people put the same choke tube in both and expect the same results. And it just doesn't happen. That's right. And the reason they expect the same results is because the choke says improved cylinder on it, or it says full choke on it. What do we know? We just go by what people tell us it's supposed to be because we're the people in the industry that are making products, giving it to you as an end user and explaining to you or telling you through diagrams, through writing, through verbalization that this is what it is. Yeah, it says it's a full choke, but guess what? It gives me an extra, extra full pattern out of this gun, and it gives me an improved cylinder pattern out of that gun. So why do you call it a full choke? It's not. You'd be better off. <laughs> I, t I tell my students, these choke companies would be better off making a choke tube, telling you how many thousandths of an inch constriction it has in it, and not marking it and telling you, here, go shoot it. And you write on it what you think it is after you there shoot you it. There you go. Because that would be the only way it would be legitimate. I, I like your approach, you know, short, medium, and long. And uh, that's just, those are the three we're going to make for this one. 
and just, you know, yep. keeping it, you know, straightforward and simple there in terms of just, you know, what we, there's so much smoke and mirrors going on that people are, the expectations are getting skewed. Ultimately, that's what's going on. People expect something to be something it's not. They expect a pattern to be something it's not. Then they expect to need a pattern that's really not something that they need. And, uh, it causes a lot of frustration. It causes a lot of money to be spent, causes birds to be lost. And uh, that's ultimately what we're here trying to do is shed some light in this and get people to think rationally, you know, to think strategically for yourself uh, to get out there and say, hey, what am I really trying to do? What is what is the real thing I'm trying to do? What's most likely to happen how do I prepare for the most likely scenario? And I think you can do that a lot cheaper than a lot of folks online and on TV would lead you to believe, right? Absolutely, George. And thanks for saying that because that, you know, this is why you do it. It's why I do it. It's why other, you know, a handful of other people do it that we know. We're we're trying to teach people and to help them. And, you know, when I post my shock cam videos or I post things and, you know, it's okay when people maybe get upset or they don't agree with what I'm doing because of the distance or, you know, whatever. But the fact is the bigger percentage of people, I'm really shedding light on a lot of things and helping them. And uh, that's what we do, you know, because there, there's not a lot of us that are teaching it and, the biggest percentage that's out there is hype or false marketing. And it's, it's there for a few reasons. It's there for companies to make money. They need to make their living. Um, so they need to be able to sell product. So I get it, but some of it is outright lies, which I don't agree with, but a lot of it's just marketing hype. And a lot of the hype, I think that companies do falsely market or, or falsely advertise, I don't think they do it knowingly. I think they truly believe that it's right. I think they truly believe that it's what we want. But, you know, like I told a couple of ammo manufacturers in the last year, I said, you know, you guys are giving us ammo that's not what is the best ballistically. And in a in a long story short, they tell me, well, this is what people want. So this is what we give them. And my argument to that is, but what they're asking for is what the ammo companies told them that they wanted for the last bunch of years. And now it's gone full circle and bit you in the butt because people are asking for stuff that's not good. And you feel like you have to give it to them. And now the people are realizing it's not good. And now you're still giving it to them because you think that you need to sell it to them. And it's going to come full circle and bite you bad because when people start to listen to what people are teaching them, they're going to see the results and what the truth is. And you're going to have to backpedal and you're going to have to go with heavier payloads, which cost you more. You're going to have to go with slower velocity, which goes against your ego because you've been, you know, marketing speed kills and hypervelocity kills and all these slogans. And you're going to have to backpedal and say, Hey man, we're sorry. We, uh, we thought it was, but it's not. And, um, that's what's happening. You know, 
It's hard. But the more people that test their ammo, the more people that understand what would really help them the most, they're going to start making more educated purchase decisions, and that can steer the course of the market in a more sane direction. If people won't make the ammo that's the best ammo because people want ammo that's really not the best ammo, um, then we can affect it on the demand side if we can't change the supply side. That's correct. And, you know, that's the whole reason why I don't, I, I never named my chokes, you know, improved cylinder, modified, full choke. Um, I, I would never do it. I just can't do it because it goes against my grain because I know for a fact through testing that those chokes do not pattern the way they're marked. One choke might pattern the way it's marked with one ammo in that gun. That's it. The rest of it, it doesn't. So how could I, how could I manufacture something, invent something, put my hard-earned time and money and effort into it, and then mark it as something that it's not just to sell it to you. I can't do it, especially when I know you're not going to be happy with it. I don't want to do it. I have no interest. So that's why I decided in the beginning with my clay target chokes, I would have, I started with four constrictions. I started with three, then I went to four and I ended up with five. And the only reason I ended up with five was because I started with one, two, and three, which was close, medium, and far. And then what happened was I was working with some gold medalist skeet shooters and realized that my one was tighter than it needed to be, and it was hurting their score a little bit. So we needed something a little more open, which became the U0, which is not zero, but that's a whole nother discussion. And then my four came into play when I started dealing with Helis, uh, ZZ Bird shooters, and Bunker Trap shooters, and Live Pigeon shooters. They needed something that was tighter than my three. So that's how my zero and my four came about because of necessity, not because of marketing. So one, two, three became zero, one, two, three, four, five constrictions, there's no way anybody ever needs anything other than that because I overlap the patterns. And then when I got to my hunting series, I stuck with close, medium, and far, which became decoy, passing, and UFO. And it makes it simple. Um, and it helps people. I know it helps people. They don't have to think as much. And when you put a Muller choke in your gun and you put your ammo in it, you know darn well it's already been tested and you're getting the best it can be. And that's what I strive to do, to help people. And you've made the labeling on that so that, you know, people can be brain dead and still figure it out. When do you use the decoy yep. choke? When you're shooting birds yep. that are at decoy range, whether that's waterfowl yes. or turkeys, you use the decoy yes. choke when they're at the decoys. And that's where you expect to shoot them. And the passing choke yep. when they're passing by and they're not coming into the decoys. And then the UFO, well, that's when you really got to poke out there at long range. You know, yes. sometimes people ask yep. me, you know, George, what ammo are you taking into the turkey woods? Uh, you know, when, when you go out, you do all these videos, you shoot all these tests, you do all these reviews. What ammo do you take hunting? And uh, it probably would shock people. My answer on that is uh, leftovers. 
whatever's yep. left over from when I'm done shooting all my videos for the for the year because my turkey season starts May 1st and I've usually shot all the turkey videos for the year by then. Whatever odds and ends I've got left over, I don't even care. It's it's all going to be TSS yep. or Winchester Longbeard if it's lead and it will all do the job at reasonable ranges with a sane choke tube and I don't even worry about it. Yep. It's just like my crow hunting. Just like my crow hunting, George. I used to take the bags of all the mixed up shells and go out and sit in the, in the crow blind and and hunt my crows, you know? And um and when you're doing what you're doing with the turkeys, it's the same thing. The ammo you've got, it's going to take care of anything that you're going to shoot in your distance. Yep. I think I'm I think I'm going to need to get out there and do some some more close medium and long range patterning just to try to drive this point home to you know help people understand with you know real targets with real holes in them and real data the importance of not tuning your gun to ranges that you are not most likely to be hunting that. Yeah, that's exact. You know, that's such an important point that you and I can drive home to people if if they don't learn anything off of this, the one thing that they need to learn is make sure you maximize your margin of error because you're using a shotgun. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to open up your choke because 90% of hunters are shooting too tight of a choke or too small of a pattern for what they're doing. And, um, you know, it's happening with turkey. It's happening with waterfall. It's happening with upland birds. It's happening with clay targets. It happens everywhere a shotgun is used. And um, all we can do is try to help these people understand reality, realistics, and, um, and remind them we're using a shotgun for a margin of error. We're not shooting a rifle. We're not shooting an arrow. We're shooting a shotgun. And for those who are having heart palpitations about the idea of putting a pellet in the breast meat, I've had story <laughs> after story and result after result that at regular, normal, medium, or even, you know, up to 40, 50 yards, again and again, TSS ammo going straight through turkeys. Goes into the yes. breast, out the back, through the guts, through the backbone, out the back of the turkey, never to be found. You, you know, we've got this ammo today. It's amazing. So yep. you may put a number nine TSS size hole in the breast meat. But there's a really good shot if you're using this kind of an ammo. There won't be any pellets left in the breast meat. And at the velocity that the nope. pellets are going, they don't tend to leave the same trauma in the meat that you see in some other pursuits. Nope. I've uh, I've shot quite a few some, something that's that's similar, right, as far as density and size. I've shot quite a few big Canada geese, George, with TSS number sevens at 68 yards and it's gone through the breast through the breast plate through the other breast meat and out the other side i've had a couple where there were tss pellets in the skin on the other side of the bird where they actually punched holes right through the breast plate and it just kept going at 68 yards wow so a turkey not an issue. Yeah, absolutely. Just rethinking the paradigm, yeah. you know. 
Yes. Yes. You know, making things friendlier for everybody. People just need to, to realize that they have much friendlier options that will help them improve their chances, improve the, the hit to miss ratio, reduce the cripple ratio. And believe it or not, the answer to that is not over choking. It's the opposite. It's more pellets, slower velocity, more open choke, and you're going to cover the bird like a blanket. And that's what that's what we're striving to do. Yep, absolutely. Now, Jimmy, before we get going here today, anything left, you know, that you've got swirling around in your mind or um, that might be good to bring up here before we start signing off? Well, you know, when it comes to turkey hunting um, and and pretty much any type of bird hunting, one thing that I really want people to understand is, you know, stay away from the bigger shot sizes. And the reason I say that is I get a lot of customers calling me on a daily or weekly basis asking me, hey, should I be shooting number five long beard? I'm, I'm shooting turkey at 30 yards or I'm shooting turkey at 50 yards, whatever the case is. At 50 yards, a number six is going to penetrate through the head and neck of a turkey in lead. And the more pellets you have, the better, because the pellet is actually what is going to break the target or kill a bird, right? So the more pellets you have, the more chance you have of hitting a vital. And the slower the velocity you have, the more dense your pattern is going to remain at distance. Um so I always try to teach people, whether you're turkey hunting, goose hunting, duck hunting, use the smell, the smallest pellet that'll get the job done and shoot it at the slowest velocity that'll get it done um, and shoot the heaviest payload that you can. These are the things that are going to give you the best results. You know, I, um, I always think about things when it comes to like lead shot for Turkey, I don't know how long we'll be able to shoot lead shot, but for now we can thank goodness. And, you know, I think back when, when they started talking about chilled shot, magnum shot, high antimony shot, and something I've always taught people when it comes to like high antimony shot, ammo companies added antimony into lead shot just so it would form better. So it would drop better out of drop shot towers and form better because antimony is what allows round pellets to form nicely. Without antimony, it does not form well or consistent. And the ammo companies added antimony for their benefit, not for ours. But what they did, because antimony is expensive, they told people that Antimony made the shot harder, and therefore it deforms less on detonation. You end up with less flyers and yada, yada. Yes, that's true to a point. The, the lowest antimony shot or just lead shot versus high antimony, which is considered 6%, is about 10% difference in pattern. But that 10% is not on the outer fringe. It's inside the core, so it's not even that much of a difference. And antimony, antimony is only 6.7 grams per cubic centimeter. It's lighter than aluminum. It's very light, but it's very expensive. And, um, you know, when you get a high antimony lead shot, 
you're getting hard shot, but you're getting light shot. So the higher the antimony level, the harder to shot, but the lighter it is. So you got to be careful with a lot of different things, George. And when it comes to turkey loads and you're shooting lead, number six in most turkey loads is more than you'll ever need at normal turkey distances, meaning, you know, out to 50 yards. And you're going to cover the bird with a blanket versus if you're shooting fives or fours, you're going to have a lot more spaces between the pellets with those bigger pellets, even with the same exact load with the same exact choke. So make sure that you understand foot pounds of energy and penetration and all that stuff. There's plenty of things that you've put out there. There's plenty of things to feed your brain and look at these things. And you're going to start to realize, wow, I don't have to be shooting a BB or a number two. I could be shooting a number four or maybe even a number six. And when you start to do that, you're going to start to realize your hit to miss ratio goes through the roof, your cripple ratio goes way down, and your wallet isn't as empty. So it it, it becomes a very eye-opening thing when you start to think for yourself and start to try things and things like we're teaching people, George. You know, Jimmy, there were a lot of Facebook trolls that uh, disagreed with you and I on that point of uh, using the smaller shot. So I went out and did a ballistics experiment in the field testing number seven versus number nine TSS at 40 yards, 60 yards, both on pattern and ballistics gel. And the very clear conclusion of that test is with the bigger shot, the pattern runs out long before the extra power becomes useful. You can That's no true. longer reliably and consistently hit the bird with the bigger shot at the ranges that having the bigger shot would help you. So that's right. Yeah, it just becomes a waste shooting that bigger shot because you can't shoot as far and you're less likely to hit them. And then you've got less margin and you're able to cultivate less margin with smart choking because you've got less pellets and it's a downward spiral. And people swear, well, you know, number nine TSS and number six lead, you know, it just bounces off turkeys at 40 yards or 50 yards. No, it doesn't. bounces off turkeys. That's like the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard of. I've got the ballistics gel yep. numbers on how far it bounces off uh, as you go two, yep. three, four, five, six inches of penetration, depending on what you're shooting. Um, no such thing. People that say that are usually people that miss and have to come up with some reason. So they blame the ammo. They blame yep. the choke tube. They blame the gun. They blame the turkey. They blame the tide. Anything but them not taking a good shot or over choking, causing them to miss the bird or shooting from a contorted position with no margin. And then they've got to come up with some other reason in their mind as to why it happened. And now they're never going to shoot number nines or number sixes ever again because they took a bad shot three years ago and uh, aren't able to come to terms with that and try to correct the real problem. So then we end up with just all kinds of baseless stuff being thrown around on Facebook and in YouTube comments. Uh, but the reality is the only thing that can kill a turkey or any bird for that matter are pellets. That's right. And the more of them that you have on the target, the better chance you have. And if you're shooting them in the head, 
you don't need a whole lot of penetration to begin with. Nope, you only need you only need two pellets in the head or neck of a turkey to kill it reliably and ethically. And it's amazing to me that people can say, well, you know, these pellets just bounced off a turkey. And then other people can say, well, they went straight through in one side and out the other, uh, through bone, skin, flesh, muscle, organ, and everything else. And then another person say the same ammo bounced off. I'm like, mm, you know, one has holes to prove it. The other's got nothing. Yep. It's the, it's the same sort of thing, George. Like, you know, I've been hunting all my life, right? And um, been around a lot of people. And I've, I've heard so many people say like, oh, gosh, you know, if you want to shoot that duck, you might as well feed it to your dog if your dog will even eat it. What do you do with those things? And I'm like, I eat them. They're good. And they're like, oh, that's disgusting. I'm like, I'm like, how many have you eaten? Oh, I never ate one. And I'm like, then how do you know it's not good? Oh, well, I heard. Well, so you know how many people I've turned on certain birds that they swore they would never eat and now they love them? All because people told them things that were not true. And um, the same thing happens with all this bouncing off. And they don't even, they don't know what bouncing off means. Um here, here's some numbers quick. And, and I know you probably know these numbers, George, but I want to, I just, cause we just mentioned it, you know, about the bigger shot and the less pellets and all that. So, so with pellet counts per ounce, a, a number six shot, a number six is a good all around size shot when it comes to Turkey ducks, upland game, one ounce of steel number six is 315 pellets. One ounce of bismuth is 254. One ounce of lead is 225. And one ounce of TSS is 138. So like you just said, when you're shooting a bigger size shot TSS, it's got enough energy to penetrate at maybe 100 yards. But the problem is there's not enough pellets to fill in the gaps to be able to hit something at that distance with enough pellets to hit a vital, right? So what I tell people and teach people about this, because I do a lot of reloading myself and, um, and I, I've done a lot of research into other ammo companies. And what I found is like, if, as you go up in shot size, the only way you could combat the spaces between the pellets is by adding more pellets, regardless of shot size. So as you go up, in heavier weight shot like TSS or even lead, you need to add heavier amounts of payload so you have the right amount of pellets, not so much payload. And this is something that people don't talk about. So give you an example. If I'm shooting steel shot, I'm shooting a minimum of an ounce and three eighths, okay? If I'm shooting TSS, I'm shooting a minimum of ounce and a half. And a lot of times I'm shooting an ounce and five eighths to an ounce and three quarter. If I'm shooting number sevens and I'm shooting at extended distances. Okay. And this is really important to know because it translates directly to turkey loads because most turkey loads people are using are, is lead. And like I said, a lead, one ounce, number six, is only 225 pellets. That's 
almost the same as one and a half ounces of TSS number six. Okay. So what we need to do is we need to think about pellet count based on the pellet size and the pellet material that's in that payload of that shell. I have a lot of people tell me, well, I'm going to go buy some TSS for Turkey and it's three quarters of an ounce. I'm like, you're going to go buy a number seven TSS, three quarters of an ounce. Do you know how few pellets that is? You might as well shoot a slug. So, so this is really important for people to think about. Pellet quantity is by far the most important thing of a shot shell along with velocity. It's not so much payload. It's about pellet count. And this is something else people really need to start looking into. And as they're changing metals and they're changing materials, they really need to do the math on the number of pellets in that shell to understand, you know, what their goals are at whatever range that they're hunting. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is where the whole, you know, like number lead four for turkey, right? It's great for body shots, like I said earlier in this podcast. But you know what? It's not the greatest thing for headshots because where do you want a lead number four to perform? Why would you be using that? You'd be using that for very long distance, right? But if you're shooting very long distance with a number four, you're going to have huge spaces between the pellets, regardless of choke or gauge or gun. It's just product of the animal, right? There's not a lot of pellets. So, so these are the things that we need to really take into consideration. The thing the one of the biggest things that I tell duck hunters and goose hunters, try not to use steel BBs because it's the worst thing you could put in a shotgun. Before you pull a trigger, you're already at a disadvantage because there's barely a hundred pellets in the shot shell. And we want to have a hundred pellets in a 30 inch circle. So the only time you're going to get that density is inside 30 yards with a good choke. Why would you ever be shooting a BB inside 30 yards? You should be shooting a number six. So the only place we want a BB would be past 50 yards. Past 50 yards, you'd be lucky if you have 40 pellets in a 30-inch circle. So that goes against our, our mathematical equation and fact sheet of how many pellets we want inside a 30-inch circle for a lethal hit, right? So... It all comes down to pellet count, George, and people can look on charts and and really learn how many pellets there are in a shotgun shell without having to cut them open, dump them out, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Get a good pellet count, get the right material, set yourself up for the right range, get a good set of choke tubes that is has versatility to them that works good for your gun. Jimmy, if people want to learn more about your company and your choke tubes, how can they do that? Um, so we have a website, and that's MullerChokes.com, M-U-L-L-E-R-C-H-O-K-E-S.com. And then, of course, we have our email that's on the website. It's info at MullerChokes.com. And on the website, we also have the phone number for the office. You can... Uh, call the office Monday through Friday, 9 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. And uh, we're always here for you, man. I mean, even on weekends, I'm, uh, I'm always manning my phone. And Devin, my employee, even though he's not supposed to be working on weekends, he's always got his nose in his phone helping customers out. And 
when uh, when people place orders with us, um, if it's Monday through Friday before 3 p.m. Eastern time, that order goes out the same day. And uh, we we take a lot of pride in our customer service and our fast turnaround times. Correct me if I'm wrong. You've got some kind of a guarantee on those chokes too, don't you? Yeah, George. Thanks for asking. We uh, like to say we have one of the best warranties in the industry, if not the best. We offer a 60-day money-back guarantee on all of our product. You, uh, you buy it, you use it for two full months, and... You know, what I mean by that is if you buy it in July and you're not going to use it till December, that 60 days starts when you pull a trigger in December. Okay. You use it for two months. If you don't think it's the best in the world, I'll give your money back. No questions asked. In that 60 days, we do a free constriction exchange. So you could swap constrictions if you don't get exactly what you're looking for the first time. And then after that, we have a full lifetime replacement warranty. Even if you damage it by accident, I'll give you a new one. So if somehow the choke break shooting, which is all but impossible, or more likely you run over your shotgun with your pickup truck, you'll replace it either way. That's right. You drop it on the tow motor of a warehouse, um, floor of a warehouse, and you run it over with a tow motor and flatten it, I'll give you a new one. Outstanding. Well, sir, thank you so much for your time, your expertise, and and your counsel today. I really appreciate it. I hope people are are really grasping the the depth of the insight here and, and where that insight is coming from. Uh, some really good stuff. Hopefully, we'll be able to get you on and talk more about waterfowl as we get closer to the fall. I think you've got uh, maybe even more to say about that. But uh, till next time, thank you very much for being here, sir. And thank you for what you do, George. All right, guys, make sure you head to the website, newhuntersguide.com. Check out the show notes for this episode. I'll put a link there to Jimmy's website if you can't remember it, mullerchokes.com, as well as a bunch of notes and other information from this episode, links to some of the videos that I mentioned uh, that we talked about here today. But, guys, till next time, thank you so much for listening. God bless you, and go get them in the woods. Mm-hmm.